0: after every heartbreak, I've always learned something new, become someone new, did something exciting for myself, to the point where I'm kind of worried that if I never have a heartbreak again, like, when am I ever gonna learn Portuguese? Because that's the time when I'm just like, so good to myself.
1: We did it. We made it, you guys. 2019. It's almost over. I am proud of us as a Let It Out group. If you're new here, this is my podcast. My name is Katie Dalebout. And every week for many years, I speak with creative, fascinating people. And 2019 was no different. I had these long-form, intimate conversations with people I really admired, but the difference with this year was that I had my heart broken for really the first time as an adult and it was all I could talk about (laughs) in my real life, in the back of a taxi cab with the cab driver. It seeped into this podcast heavily and it could have been a drinking game how many times I said the words emotionally bloody or hyper emotional state or I cried or I asked people about their breakups and I got a lot of really good advice and wisdom that might be useful to you if you're feeling that way which can be such a lonely feeling even though it's one of the most universal feelings that so many people have felt and made art about and we really shouldn't feel alone in but It feels so specific and lonely when you're in it, which is why I'm making this Clips episode of all of that advice and wisdom that I received this year from so many angles. And a lot of it is the same, but said in such unique, beautiful words that I just wanted to put it somewhere. And what's interesting about this is that you're not just hearing Advice, but you're also getting me in process, and you can hear it in the types of questions I'm asking my desperation, where I was at different months of this year. Whether you're feeling heartbroken right now, or you have felt heartbroken at any point in your life, I think you'll relate to this episode and you'll feel feelings during this episode. There's a great This American Life Breakups episode that is so emotional no matter when I listen to it because this is a human experience emotion that what I've realized through this and what's been the most beautiful part of this year, feeling so sad and undone for most of it, but I really saw who I was. I learned so much about myself. I'm still learning so much about myself, but I also was so open that My friendships got so much deeper. Every relationship in my life changed because I became more open. I was more myself because I was forced to be. And that's something really cool that came from this. And a lot of that is the result of a lot of really great wisdom. And that's not all I made. I made something else, which I'll tell you about in the middle of this when you'll know. It's it's pretty cool though and I'm really excited for you guys to see it and check it out and use it because it's what I worked on all fall and it's making me really happy. So more on that but first let me tell you who you're about to hear from. So all of these people and their full episodes on Let It Out will be linked in the show notes. You can go back If you get a taste of someone and you really, really want the whole meal, you can go back and listen to the whole episode. But they go in order, and I'll just set up a couple of them now as current Katie and kind of tell you where I was in my relationship. This is a very intimate episode because I'm really just getting into the details of what was actually going on and why I was asking the questions I was asking, which I wasn't, of course, ready to share about. Back then. Um, but these go in order and they were recorded mostly last year, 2019, this current year that's about to be last year, with the exception of the first clip that you're about to hear, which is from Marley Grace. And she is a dancer and an improviser and a creative woman I love a lot. And Marley was in New York at the end of 2018 for her book launch. And I came over to the apartment she was staying at and interviewed her. The interesting thing about this conversation with Marley is that I asked her about breakups and I asked her about her divorce, but at the time I was in a relationship and hadn't broken up with this person yet and wasn't planning on it. But I must have known on some level because I wanted to ask this question and really listened to her answer and it hit me hard. And listening back to it, this is when I needed to hear it again. You know, she said something like, you'll fall in love and break up again and again and again. And the only thing that is constant is you. And I really needed to hear that then, but I couldn't really hear it then. But this year, a year later, I could. And I thought that that was really interesting so first, you'll hear from Marley, and then you'll hear from Lacey Phillips, who many of you know, she's been on the podcast multiple times. And the interesting thing about that conversation was actually the fullest commissioned me to interview her for my column for their Valentine's Day issue <laughs> about relationships and love. And so we got it on the calendar long before I broke up with my boyfriend. And I was like, great, I'm going to talk to Lacey about love and relationships. And turns out the day that we had this scheduled was the day before, I think, my breakup. Like right in the thick of things. All right, I can tell that this episode sounds like a huge bummer. But weirdly, it's optimistic. It's a little bit emotional for me because I remember what I was feeling at each point and I can hear it in my voice and and maybe you'll pick up on that, but the advice and the insights and the stories are so optimistic and bright. And actually this episode is not a downer. Like it sounds, (laughs) it's not just about breakups too. We talk about creativity and change and I'm going to tell you about my new project that I made in the middle. And at the end, I get all of the greatest advice on romantic love. And I think that's a really beautiful way to end and I can't wait for you to hear it. So let's get into the clips. I will talk to you in a little bit as current Katie and reflect a little bit more. But you're going to, after you hear from Lacey, you'll hear from Sarah Avonstover, who speaks about grief in such an articulate way. And it was very kismet that I had the conversation scheduled with her when I did. I had no idea that this grief was going to happen to me at that time but then I had this cozy conversation with her already on the calendar and then you'll hear me speak with very prolific illustrator Mari Andrew who is kind of a breakups queen and I met her in a yoga class in our neighborhood I ran into her at the post office and that was very kismet and beautiful and then you'll hear me speak with John Morrow about creativity and I'll come back in there and, and talk to you before we move on. Let's talk about breakups and cycles. <laughs> Great. And leaving leaving your marriage, which you already mentioned how did How did you get through that? When can we dive into that a little bit? Like, what were kind of your? When did you get the awareness and the the next steps of how did you get through that? And then what did that whole experience teach you?
2: So I have a project that's an Instagram feed called personal practice and I started it in July of 2015, which is also when John and I started talking about ending our partnership and it took us another year, basically, you know, to, we, yeah, we worked, we worked on it. We tried a lot of different things and sometimes they worked and then they didn't anymore. And so, but it's funny because I started personal practice not thinking like this is what will save me as I go through the end of my marriage, but it just did. Like it's, I started it and then I committed to dancing every single day and I still have it. I still post most days, but I, after about a year and a half, like just needed to give myself permission to not show everyone every day, but it was like such an amazing accountability tool for that year and a half where I did post every, every single day, even, even when I didn't want to. And yeah, I mean, dancing every day was the way, I mean, that was, you know, and as a person who doesn't drink or do hard drugs, that was definitely the first time that I since getting sober in 2011 was really just like, I want to drink or I want to die. And, you know, the two things that kept me from doing either of those things was, calling my friends and dancing every day. You know, really there was like two times where I really needed to call someone to be like I don't I don't feel safe by myself, like I don't really like being alone right now. And um yeah, I'm glad I did that and I'm glad I just kind of got through in those ways and had a lot of yeah, just like people around me, but really I think, you know, dancing every day was the thing that really got me through.
1: Yeah. What advice would you give to someone who's going through something like that, like a big life change, like a breakup where everything reminds you or you're questioning your choice, or you're just scared about the next phase in your life? And, you know, would it be having some sort of creative practice or outside of that? Yeah,
2: I really think that the daily practice is so amazing and again it's like I really did it with the accountability of having a place to put it every day which was really helpful but um I think just like it's it's so like the cheesiest thing but like just knowing trust that it gets better like it's so crazy looking back at that time and now what my life is like two and a half years later and just being like wow like it's so different. And like, you're going to fall in love again and you're going to break up again. And, you know, or or there's people listening who have been with their partner for 30 years or something. But even within long-term partnership, I think you can still go through questioning and pain. And that's where the only thing that's constant is you and God, (laughs) you know, I think it's Octavia Butler has some amazing thing It's like, change, I'm not going to try to say it, but it's, you know, something that like change is always happening. God, God God is constant, but I love just thinking about like, yeah, it's just me and my relationship with whatever. I, I'm, I'm somebody who like uses God, even though I don't Believe in God I just This is a fast word And I like it You know Whatever I probably more specifically Believe in goddess Spirit of the universe But I'm down with Lowercase god So
1: Well it's kind of, I think you're kind of Saying like that It's cheesy And it's like everybody's has it tattooed But it's like This too shall pass Yeah, it's like It's really fucking yes, good Exactly <laughs> That's why.
2: I mean Cliches are cliches Because yeah. they're real You know yeah. That's why they're, They are what they are So yeah
1: I think it's just so interesting because I've been going through something that I wasn't expecting to talk to you about this or for this to even come up. And I think the easier thing sometimes that doesn't feel easy is to walk away and start over and be like, well, this just isn't the relationship for me. But then I've been reflecting on this a lot this week. And then I think, well... All of this shit will come up in my next relationship because wherever you go, there you are, you know, that thing. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. it's just like, I yeah, maybe I could do that. But like turning it around on you and letting go of that control.
3: And it's really profound. I'm so glad we talked about this. And I think it's actually just so good because I think a lot of people are in these situations too. I like to tell people a lot because so much of my formula is like pass tests, you know, if you're settling leave, you know, and I don't necessarily always put that in relationships. Again, if it comes back to toxicity, meaning abuse or someone who's making you small or they're narcissistic, there's a chemical imbalance. It's a whole different type of reframing if you should be in something or not. But if you aren't 100% sure that you should go Yet or not, and I'll give an example of this, stay. Because, and like you said, where you go, there you'll be. And in manifestation, it's particularly important because we just continue and everybody can look at their patterns in life. We continue to attract the bosses that were like our moms, the partners that were like our dads or our cousin or the weird person who was mean to us in school or whatever. You will just keep attracting these types of experiences until you deal with them. So prior relationship. I knew I was there two years too long. I knew it was time to go, but it hadn't run its course fully. And I really, really try to suggest to people like, don't leave something until you'll know you will wake up that morning that hits you where it's like, I've got to go. It's time to go. This has been sucked dry. You'll always have that breaking point or you'll fall in love with someone else or something will happen. You'll know. But if it's like, maybe it's not the one or this or that for a while until you're sure, because there's so many lessons that you'll reap out of this that you won't then again attract in another relationship you'll attract an even better relationship after and whatever better means to you as you evolve and like an example I give of this in my past relationship the breaking points finally were that he didn't want to get married or have a family and I really did and this is the irony of it I stayed in it and, and really saw that through so I made sure to manifest a partner who did want those things and the funniest thing now is we're engaged I don't want to get married and I can't seem to get pregnant so it's like when we stop controlling anything we think like societally time might be running out it should look like on paper in this relationship so I should go or it doesn't feel right or like my partner and I for instance societally most partners and you guys live in the same city or home let alone and we are going to explore not doing that so to not be afraid of really seeing what works for you not leaving before you're supposed to Know when it's time to go again if this is a healthy relationship, and then taking all of the expectations off the partner, the pressure, and the needs being filled, and start to actually turn the mirror back around on yourself. I think it's the best thing, yeah. And I
1: think it's so expansive that you're sharing that because we look at with society and the media and really social media of you only see the good parts of relationships. You only, we don't, I'm not posting when I'm sobbing over my boyfriend or whatever it is. Like I'm not posting that, but I am posting our really like beautiful tender moments. And so I think to vulnerably discuss this right now and talk about this is it's helpful for me and hopefully a lot of people listening. So thank you for being vulnerable. Absolutely. I know that before you met Max, your current partner, you went through a tough breakup. And you know what were some self-care things for you that you did then that were helpful? And what do you suggest on getting through that time and reflecting?
3: Well, number one, I think a really big gift that somebody I would love to give people is you will never be more magnetic than you are when you leave a relationship that's no longer serving you. I mean, it's like, The universe just wants to send you so many bones. So that's one little thing I want to offer to the person who knows it's time to go and they're afraid or they've just, you know, been broken up with. This is the time to harness manifesting because you're just going to have so many bones thrown your way. So there is, it's kind of like Christmas Mm -hmm. (laughs) or whatever, you know, holidays one celebrates. And so that's one thing I just want to give to shine a little bit of inspiration to the person who may be nearing heartache or be in heartache right now. I think that it'll always be very clear when it's time to go there's a breaking point there may feel like there's many breaking points but there's one actual breaking point where you wake up one day or you hear a voice or you fall in love with somebody else or you can't take it anymore there will be a breaking point and when you honor that and again, even if it's delayed a little bit. Because you're afraid to be alone or you're afraid to go through this process or you're financially connected or whatever that might be, once you're able to do it, magnetism will set in. So that's really beautiful. And then the I think the best ways to care for yourself. We just actually put out a workshop. I think that a lot of people, when they go through a relationship, even though it doesn't seem like for everybody who's been through them a few times, the earthquaking, rock-bottom situation. However, the energetics of how to navigate it are identical. So there's a lot that we talk about in that learning how to be in grace when you leave or are left you know and so how to stay in grace and not engage in, and, and all of the toxicity and drama and all the stuff that can happen It's also like the steps of like how to stay in your magnetism and make things work for you. So that's called up level and rock bottom. And then in terms of self-care during that, and it tells you like how to weed out things that aren't supposed to be around you. I mean, it's really supportive about this, but the self-care things too, that I think are so instrumental during this time is how to learn how to fall in love with yourself and also feel all of your feelings fully. And a really good book for that is called Letting Go but I think the author's name is David Hawken. And it's really, it's just, it's so simple, but it really shows you how to feel all of your feelings fully so that they move through you and they don't become repressed or turn into something else or resentment. So that, and then also falling in love with yourself, to me, is looking at all of the things that make you so afraid of being alone and facing them. So if you're like afraid to go to the movies by yourself or go to dinner by yourself or have to initiate a new circle of friends because you guys shared friends, all of that stuff, the more you can go and just face your fear and do it. Not only do you create massive magnetism, meaning you're you're like a magnet, things you want are just coming to you, but also you're overcoming your fears and really stepping into this more powerful wholeness version of you that's going to attract in another relationship that's just of a higher caliber. So that's what I, I mean, when I say fall in love with yourself is face all of your biggest fears about being alone. So I think that's like the bell. but yeah, sure. Take an Epsom salt bath, go get massages, do those things. Sure. Whatever feels like self-care to you of what traditionally seems like self-care.
1: Yeah. So when thinking about mourning the relationship and like all the little things that remind you of the person and trying to milk all it's worth for reflecting on what you can learn from the relationship. Any quick tips? I Maybe that's the question for the book, Letting Go, but any quick tips on, you know, when you get overcome by an emotion, you feel it, like for me, it's always like in my like chest area. When you feel that feeling, just let it pass through you. Like, is that it? Like, what are, do you have any tips for that? Of like, you know, just that that missing someone feeling.
3: Yeah, like to deduce it into like a very quick practice of that, like feeling your feelings fully, the way that I'll go about it and... You welcome it all. It's going to be, you know, roller coaster of different spectrums of emotion. But essentially, I quiet all of the thoughts in my brain so that I can be present, like literally get rid of everything. And I move my attention to my heart. And it's as if I'm like opening up my heart or my stomach, either of them. And I just let it's like I'm kind of pushing out or feeling all the things coming up going through my heart. I'm not intellectualizing what I'm feeling. I think when it comes to the real emotions, they're they are far more vast than intellectualizing, can even comprehend. So I turn off my thoughts, I open up my chest or my stomach, and I let all the feelings go through me like a river. And you'll feel when you hit the tail end. And what I love about the book, Letting Go, is what he says. He was like, most things that overcome you, if you don't avoid them if you don't repress them if you just initiate and feel them all the way they usually pass under 30 minutes and then it's like it's 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 one layer less of the onion that's processed and gone so you then grief can come up or anger and just again you don't need to intellectualize them you need to turn off your brain and just feel them all the way
1: oh that's so good and it moves you up that emotional scale and it allows you to move forward. I, it's so helpful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You obviously experienced heartbreak and made such beautiful art about it. Can you talk about what those experiences taught you and being in in that tender time? Like what was some advice maybe you got? You've already given me such beautiful oh. advice just through email,
0: <laughs> but what, what was helpful to you? You know, when I think about those times, it's so strange and probably sounds disrespectful to people going through them, but I kind of miss it because I was so squishy. (laughs) My heart was so squishy during that time. Like, I remember there was a couple much more difficult heartbreaks than others, and I remember during those just like walking down the street, feeling so incredibly in touch with everyone's pain. Like I was so hyperintuitive. Like you're raw. I felt raw. I felt like an open wound walking down the street, but it just made me like so in touch with other people and so connected. Like I said earlier, when I was little, you know, and I felt most connected to the world when I was sad, like I did feel alone a lot and actually feeling sad made me feel more connected to people because it was never like beyond me that other people felt that I think, you know, like I, I've never felt particularly too alone in the world during those times. Cause I, I know, I know that everyone goes through it, but during those like really potent heartbreaks, when you just like you're, you're really in survival mode and it's, Every little thing you do is so takes so much energy. But then again, on the flip side, you're so easily fed. Like if someone like buys you a coffee, it's like the most generous thing that anyone's ever done. Like you're just so hypersensitive. And I think during those times, it's been so fertile for creativity, so fertile for empathy and learning about myself. And I think the real gift of having something taken away from you is that you have to fill that space. And most likely you're going to do it through positive things. I mean, once you've had your like, you know, two bottles of wine in the bathtub night, you will start to fill that space. And I found that after every heartbreak, I've always learned something new, become someone new, did something exciting for myself to the point where I'm kind of worried that if I never have a heartbreak again, like, when am I ever going to learn Portuguese? Because that's the time when I'm just like so good to myself. And that's really the only way to get through.
1: You're meeting me in the time where I'm, I am like in that where it's like, just put one foot in front of the other. I'm sort of coming out of it, but I I've been, I've had tough things before that like I've been nostalgic for not, not this, not this exactly, but I know what you mean, but I also, I know what you mean about so many people have said that to me. Of like, this is the time where you'll you'll learn something new, or you'll people look back on these and. But it is. I'm still in the moment of feeling like I'm the only one that feels like this. Mm-hmm. I can, this is we make movies about this. Like I, but I, I can't. But I also see like as I'm moving away from it, I don't want to let it go because it's. Mm-hmm. I'm so present and I'm so in my body. And I want to carry that with me,
0: you know. Totally. There's this great this American Life episode about breakups, yeah. And on it, this line that always sticks out to me—I've listened to this a million times for every million breakups I've I been through. Need to re-listen. It's so great. Um, and one line I love is, um, "Breakups feel—it's like the most universal thing. Like everyone's broken up before, but it feels so specific." Yes. And I always say when I go through a breakup it feels like it's not only the first time it's happened to me, but it feels like it's the first time it's happened to anyone. And I've been through, like, I'm average twice a year at this point. And and I've been through some, like, horrific ones that I know are going to be, you know, the worst that I've ever experienced, I hope. And even so, even even after like a couple months of dating if we go our separate ways it feels it's like unbelievably painful and you'd think like i've been through it i know that i'll get through it i know i have you know the wisdom to get through it but it feels like the first time it's ever happened because it is i mean it's a relationship between two people that's never going to happen again right. so yeah it's really sad You mentioned
1: rejection, and I Mm. wrote down rejection as protection, which is Mm -hmm. a line that you've said. Can you talk about that?
0: Yeah. Oh, rejection. I was just rejected romantically, and I'm still, like, so mad about it. It never gets easier. (laughs) It never gets easier. The only wisdom I have to offer is a cliche that I think everyone knows, but it's like, but it takes a while to kind of feel it in your skin, and that's that it's for the best. It's just for the best. I mean, if someone rejects you, they weren't fully valuing you. And whether that's like in a work thing, and I've been rejected many, many times in my work or romantically or as a friend or whatever. If someone's not like pumped about you, they just don't deserve you. And that's so hard. I mean, I've I've had so many work rejections that I just remember really it manifested so much as just anger. Like I would get a rejection letter in the mail and like rip it up and just like stomp on it. Like just get so mad. Like, why am I trying? The world is against me. And then in a romantic rejection, that taps into something very, very deep in me, very deep self-worth issues. Um, Again, starting from when I was in middle school. And I know by now that It's fine, and it's for the best, and that that person who rejected me is always opening a door for someone better to step in, but it's not easy. (laughs) It's not easy. Um, It's funny, though. I was recently romantically rejected, and I was talking to my friend about it the other night, and I said, it's like clearly because I'm not pretty enough. And she said that's so interesting because what I projected from my own wound, her talking, is that you were, like, too successful. And she's, like, a star on Broadway, and she she deeply fears that she drives men away with her success. And she doesn't have an issue. She just doesn't have, like, body image issues, so that didn't even cross her mind. And so, like, whatever we're rejected yeah. from, we're, like, projecting our wound. But it's, like, it's probably not even about that, you know? Yeah. It's probably about, like, their something else. Or- exactly, yeah. their wound, totally. yeah
1: you talked about this a bit before. It's another cliche that's like probably on a t-shirt or an Instagram
2: (laughs) feed as we speak,
1: which is probably like a roomy quote or something of what is meant for you will not pass you. And I wouldn't have been able to let go of this relationship, but it let go of me. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. now it's, it was so easy to look to this relationship as, where I was focusing. And now that that's gone, I'm forced to focus on myself and use it as a mirror and all the areas that I need to grow and change and not what wasn't working in the relationship, which is scary, but actually a gift, like you were saying, and it's protecting me from time, like time Mm -hmm. that I'm getting back of like, Mm
0: -hmm. I wouldn't have been able to let go, but yeah, totally, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. That's happened to me many times where I can see I would have kept,
4: yeah.
0: I would have stayed in, in something I, I shouldn't have, yeah. I shouldn't have been there. So, yeah. yeah.
1: What advice would you have and what helped you through your breakups? Is there any like tenderness or you've kind of talked about a lot of self-care, but anything specifically for that
5: brand of grief? <laughs> It's such a uh, bittersweet time, and it's really about learning how to be there for yourself and supporting yourself in all the ways that you want to be supported by someone else. I'm not sure how to put it, but it's um, to keep going deeper in yourself and uh, your relationship to however you experience the divine. Because ultimately, that that really is our primary relationship. And I think one of the reasons why we've become such a love-obsessed culture and really idealizing romantic relationships is because we are so disconnected from the divine. And we need to bring that back to the forefront of our lives, that sense of being in love with life so that we don't put so much pressure on needing to find the one. I don't think that there is like the one, I think there's many ones and every relationship really is an assignment for us to learn something that we came here to learn.
1: Yeah. I I think I'm grieving this person that I love so much. And then the jarring aspect of being a, a relationship period and then not, and then also wanting to learn as much as I can from this experience. So I don't replay these same patterns with the next person again and again. So that's really helpful of giving myself, you know, what I was getting from that relationship. How can I give that to myself? And yeah, I, I like that. So I heard you say on another podcast that you went through a tough breakup and you wrote a book about it. Can you talk about that and what you learned from it?
6: Yeah. Well, let's see. That was a giant, just giant life lesson. I actually don't think I had made, I kind of describe that as like the first mistake I've ever made. I had a, I had an affair. I got it. I had an affair with um, my friends, my friends with my friend's girlfriend at the time. It was this total passionate, undeniable chemistry thing that I, totally fell into and wanted to make that work even after they broke up. And we were, we were kind of like on and off for two and a half years. And it was something that I needed to make sense of afterwards. Like that, like a, so I think when I started the book, it was more of a long love letter to her and our love of where I, I mean, it was a 450 page fully illustrated romance novel, complete with like the watching art, email flirtation starts and well, it's kind of like full on, like just documented everything, like the love letters between us all and everything. And I think I was like, how is when she ultimately left and didn't choose this, I had to be like, how can she not choose this? I needed to make sense. Like, how was this not right? So when I started, I thought I was writing this sultry romance, like epic romance novel. And by the time I was done, I realized, Oh, actually I was a jerk who had an affair on my, my friend. Like I committed adultery and, and that was ultimately all I needed to do was just process it and put it into place and, and create it to bring it to life. But I mean, I even, it was, I got it letter-pressed and embossed, like the cover, it looked like an old like fairy tale. But I've seen so much of what I'm capable of, like calling, you know, thinking myself as a nice guy or someone who wouldn't do that to be able to witness the darker side of myself and what I'm capable of. and And fully, like, right until I saw that, like it, it was, you know, my own therapy of, hey, here I am doing some really dark things that I had masked and told myself were in the name of love or romance. And I'm, you know, so I needed, I needed to do that. So that was, that was a, just a giant process for me. And I, at first I thought I was going to publish it and do all that, but I got really clear this doesn't honor me. It doesn't honor her. It doesn't honor the relationship. And I wouldn't want to put that in, in the world or I wouldn't want to contribute to anyone having another affair or adultery, you know? So I ended up burning them. Burning the copies I had, and uh, yeah, deleting it all off my off my computer. Not for like a anything other than like, thank you. Learned that lesson, you know. And there was only if there's just a few people who had in the world who read it, and kind of were my space holders or witnesses of that, you know. But what I really ultimately learned, you know, my friend who the male friend that I cheated on, we went through a big giant forgiveness thing, and he's not a I wouldn't call him a close friend now, but You know, to be able to have that journey and have someone, and uh, just yeah, humble, humble, humble. It was totally like a, a chink in my armor that I needed, and that I'm, that I've always, when I approach all relationships now, know that's there. You know, and I think I can see too, my own insecurities. Like I found myself always for a while attracted to women who had boyfriends, not like. I knew why I'd be like, oh, I'm really into this girl, and then it would find out. It's not like, oh, you have a boyfriend now I'm attracted yeah. to. Do. I would like find afterwards. Right. Have, so I don't know if it was a, a confidence thing or just that energy or what they had or what I wanted was the energy of partnership. Mm-hmm. But there was definitely times before this, you know, culmination of an affair that I, I I I was flirtatious or I would you kind know, of play in there and just kind of I described it as almost putting my arm over the electric fence, you know, but yeah. never kind of like never crossing the boundary. Mm-hmm. And this this was like full on electrocution style. Mm-hmm. And so, lesson learned and, um, and like total humble pie served and f- beyond grateful.
1: Isn't it interesting how cathartic making art about something like you didn't even need to share that art or publish that, but it sounds like it brought you through it like you could have done in therapy or you could have done in in different ways. I've been thinking about that a lot because you're you're talking to me at this very tender spot in my life. I just had a breakup and it's so emotionally bloody. (laughs) And I know I will make art about this, but I'm still so in it. I don't know exactly. And I think I could share it because I think for me... Made a lot of mistakes in the relationship, but I think it could be helpful because people feel this. Like, I was just talking to a friend about—she just had a baby, and she was, like, telling me the story of the birth and all that. And she was like, I can't believe more—people do this all day long, Mm -hmm. every day. And it's so, like, horrific to have a baby. Birthing, you mean. Birthing, yeah. 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 And then I recently went through this, and I was like, I can't believe that people feel this loss and grief. It's so— I've, it's my first time feeling this. And so it, when when I heard you talking about that on that podcast about how you made art about it, I think it's kind of my only way out. And I've been journaling about it and writing about it and things I might publish and thinking about what type of art I want to make about it. I think something different than what I've done. But I can see it's like the thing I don't want to talk about, but I have to talk about
6: it's an honoring i think to do that and it's so an honoring in a way well i would say when you can come full circle and see and take ownership yeah. of the good and the bad you know and if you need to if you you know i find i've just found that art has always been my therapy it can say the things that i didn't even know were in there until i actually like you know dug in and and, yeah. and, and saw this. it was layers upon layers but the um yeah the process was was what was needed you know and sometimes i think that's a private thing sometimes i think that you can share so others can see it but i knew it took me to the end of my book to kind of get oh yeah this is i wasn't going to like try to clean it up to sort of then off because mm-hmm. it was such a i had to see that what i thought was love was that was was a big giant mask for not seeing my own shadow mm-hmm. so but i think i've definitely gone through breakups or my parents' divorce or even my dad's death. Art is how I do like the meteorological, like check in with my soul. Like what's happening here? You know, what do you need to, What do you need, to, what's the lay of the land mm-hmm. look like now? And they're each such different landscapes. And um I've learned to just trust my soul knows knows how to make metaphor analogy or or make sense of it in ways that my rational mind can, because you can read all the Instagram like positivity quotes yeah, and they're wonderful, but they're really drops in a much larger ocean. Like, and if if I really believe like everything's inside of me, let me put up like a big fish. Let me see what's actually, let me be brave enough and kind of be all the things that I give lip service to and see what's there. And then if I really all know if it's going to be helpful for others or not,
3: you Mm -hmm. know, and
6: then I'm Absolutely, will share if um, if I know others can. It's a it's a service I think to help others through your own process.
1: Yeah, you have to be discerning over what's like. They talk about this a lot with comedians, like using the mic as therapy. You know, like I think it's interesting what you were saying about how when you started it, it was kind of a love letter to her and your relationship. And I think some of the art that I've been I've been collaging a lot. That's Mm -hmm. something I like doing. And I think some of that is like a love letter to our relationship. And some of the writing I've been doing has been like, like I used to teach yoga and I remember all through college when like a friend would come to my class, I would, I would teach for that person and kind of like forget everyone else in the class, which was not a very loving thing to do. But every time I'd like play a song or teach a move or say a new word, I'd be like, what'd they think of that? What'd they think of that? And I think kind of great Gads being, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I feel like I can see myself doing that with some of my art and some of my my world now of like what's he gonna think about when he when he sees this or when he you know and I want to make sure that's out of the art uh-huh. before I before I think about sharing it like this this is this writing is for me. It's not for him. It might be for an audience, but right now it's just for me. And I think that's when art can be cathartic, you know
6: and or put that in. With that exact thing like be self-aware through what would it be like to make something for him you know like call yourself out through the creative process yeah you know and, and I think that would be two very different collages yeah you know for him like his and hers
1: Yeah. I've been thinking a lot of it. Did you watch the, or did you read the Chris Krause book, I Love Dick or watch the version with um, Catherine Hahn did this in Kevin Bacon. There's a TV show that came out last year and it's these, this part, the character who's Chris Krause in the memoir and played by Catherine Hahn writes this, these letters to the character Dick who's played by Kevin Bacon. And it's essentially, you know, her obsession and her crush on this person, but it becomes her art. And I think, you know, there's this great TED Talk. I forget what it's called, but you've probably seen it. And it's oh, it's old, but they're saying like, your dog dies, make good art, you know? Mm-hmm. you're Is it the you're, Neil Gaiman one? Probably. Yeah,
6: it was a graduation speech. Neil Gaiman had like a make good art, yeah. no matter what. Okay.
1: It's a, I'm sure it's probably that. Yeah. Maybe it wasn't a TED Talk, but yeah. I, I, so I, like, I knew when this was happening that it, like that's my only way out, but it doesn't make it less annoying or like emotionally and bloody is like the thing i keep saying because that's what it feels like
6: well i think you know let it out clearly is your it's your healing like you already know yeah it's happening and it's going to change like the word it will change it'll be what it represents will be different throughout your different decades in you and different 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 chapters for sure and i think that you're just committed to that and i think that um ultimately i mean it's going to be it will represent love, which you're so clearly embodying and expressing. But I, I I think trust yourself to heal the way you know you need to heal.
1: Yeah. Guys, it's me again, Current Katie. John was right. I did make something. I made lots of things, but I made something I'm really proud of. Two things, actually. The Soothe Kit and the Solve Kit. The Soothe Kit is a digital or a printed zine that you can only get the printed copies at an event I'm having in New York tomorrow. So it's basically a digital zine that you can either get dosed out to you over email daily or you can get a PDF of it. But let me tell you what it is first. It's basically everything I did and learned and would have wanted when I was feeling like a raw nerve right after a breakup, didn't know what to do, couldn't even decide what to do. This is something that tells you one thing to do every day, more than one thing to do, but just a few things that give you a sense of completion. It's full of themes and Journaling prompts and actions and it's kind of like a scavenger hunt for your mind and it's full of soft stories My story other people's stories art and advice that helped me that was useful for me and I'm it was so fun to make and a Really cool process and you can get one for yourself if you're feeling this way You can also send it to a friend which I think is really lovely when I was telling my best friend Simmy about this She was like I would have loved to be able to send this to you this year because I postmated you so much food and I spent so much time crying on the phone with you. I wish I could have just sent you this instead of flowers. So that's an option too, which I love. And then I also made the solve kit. So after you soothe yourself, because I feel like you first just have to soothe yourself when you're feeling so raw and it's just so jarring to have a relationship end. it feels like you're losing a limb as Rochelle says in this episode but basically then most recently what I've been doing is more solving so I've been mining the relationship for gyms and personal growing and all the things I'm doing to become better at being myself and grow from this experience And that is called the Solve Kit. So that's what I am working on now and what I've been working on. And I'm really excited about that next level part of this kit. And that's available as well. So the links are in the show notes. If you have questions, let me know. I can't wait for you guys to tell me what you think of these two writing projects, audio projects, visual projects that I made that I'm really excited about, and I hope you like. And if you do, let me know. If you have any questions about them, let me know. I enjoyed the process making them, and I think that matters. All right, let's get back to some more clips. You're going to hear from herbalist Rochelle. She's the founder of Supernatural in New York, and I love her. I met her for the first time. We had this on the calendar that's a true I met her in 2018 but we had this interview on the calendar and it got moved and rescheduled a million times because my grandpa died right at the same time as this breakup and I had to move a lot of things around and so I end up at her apartment just a few days after I got home from This heartbreak (laughs) And so I was a mess And instead of talking about herbalism We were really heavy On the heartbreak conversation But she had some of the best advice that I got So you'll hear from her And then you're going to hear from My beloved Co-host of Spiraling Serena I've spoken at length about how Spiraling Really was born out of me being a mess And Serena kind of Helping to clean me up And giving me so much great advice about anxiety and the role that that played within my relationship ending. And then you'll hear from my writing teacher, Jess, who I just found myself taking a lot of writing classes after this breakup. And that's how I met her and became obsessed with her and loved her outlook on life and love and love ending and breakup. She has a unique story about her divorce and and then we'll pick up the mood you'll hear from Robin Canner you'll hear from Kristen who gave my favorite lesson on romantic love and then you'll hear my favorite song of the year Have you had any hard breakups what did Ugh. what did they teach you
7: Yes I had two Tell that were heart wrenching well, I wrote a book about one of them
1: Oh, really? Yeah,
7: here, I'll show you Oh, so oh, wow, this is so cool Where can people get this? Nowhere oh. <laughs> It's published, but I really wow. like Nobody knows about this That was the first hard breakup That was a hard breakup because we You know, I think uh, I think that he I'm <laughs> trying to think how much I should say publicly How old are you? Uh, about 25, 24 It was uh, in Seattle before I moved Mm -hmm. to New York and my family wanted me to marry him. He wanted to marry me. Everybody loved him. We were an amazing pair. It definitely could have happened.
1: I can relate.
7: Yeah. You know, and there are those things, I mean, to me, the breakups and not even in retrospect, in the moment, the hard ones feel like, or for me, they have felt like life with this person is entirely possible, but we are choosing for it not to be. Totally. And it feels like life splits in that moment. And, you know, part of your being, part of your soul, an alternate, you know, reality, whatever it is, continues on. Yeah. And that life goes forward and you are together. Sliding doors. (laughs) Yeah, totally. And we chose not to. And it was super hard and it hurt. And I, you know was running like multiple times a day and felt like I lost half my body, like meaning, you know, my soul. And it's just, that's, that's how both of the breakups have been. It's felt like losing a limb or something. And I went back to my favorite therapist and was like, help me make sure that I process this right. Cause this feels really, really big. And then I moved to New York and we're, great friends now and he's actually I'm going to talk to him tonight after wow. after this wow yeah and it, it took a while to come back to that but I consider him a friend for life and when you know someone that intimately you know and you can maintain a friendship obviously it's
1: really meaningful I really look forward to that I'm not near that yeah but what advice helped you through that or what advice would you give someone through that
7: what helped me through both of these breakups was a consistent, healthy, or the best you can do, cathartic release. So when I was going through this, I didn't actually write the book until afterward because it was too painful for me to sort of be in the moments. I was, those those journals up there are my sort of, I don't know, my safeties, if you will. Mm-hmm. I was writing and literally I would just, I would check in every night and it's like still here, still here, still here, like just... Checking in and making sure that I was not detaching from the situation that I was not Burying it with anything unhealthy. I would say as much as it hurts The more you can feel it and let it Let it express itself. Yep. Let it out then The better you're gonna be with all of it and these things are are crazy and they're they're deaths in their own way and as hard as it is, it's also this sort of tragically beautiful and, you know, poignant experience in There's life. A richness to that, it, I'm finding. Yeah, you know, and it's fascinating and it's hard and it's sad, but it's also like, wow, what a thing to feel or what a thing to experience. I never knew I could be this, you know, broken or or whatever it is or angry or, you know, and I just tried to... Observe it all as much as possible, and let it, yes, out. Let it out.
1: So you had another breakup after this breakup. Yes. <laughs> what did that one teach you? Was that um, different? Was it were the experiences similar?
7: The relationships probably could not have been more opposite, <laughs> except that I do also think that life with this other person would have been possible. Like it was an immediate, you know, soul latch, and we were together for four plus years here in New York during the sort of starving phase. So really, really bonded over the Mm -hmm. hardness of being here and fascinating how deeply we were connected, but it was not a healthy relationship. There was a lot of codependence and the lifestyle was super unhealthy, which was really hard for me. I was trying to help myself and help him and you know, keep us out of the, the, the dark alleys of New York bar scene and that kind of thing. And just, it was hard. And then that one, I think it was, it was different in the end because I chose to leave as opposed to it being a little bit more of a mutual thing. And I got to experience what it's like to leave somebody who, who it appears is 100% dependent on you. Mm. And that Different and scary in its own way, you know, literally fearing that this person won't survive if you're not there to take care of them. And pressure. So, yeah. So it took me a long time to kind of get there. And then after we broke up, I was going through some of the same symptoms as before, grieving and feeling the severity of it, but the symptoms persisted and persisted and persisted for like a solid year afterward. And I started to really worry about the inability to recover from the breakup. It was so intense. And so finally, I reached back out to him and I was like, I'm having a really hard time getting over this. Like, are you okay? Did you do it? And he was in the exact same place as me. And it, it turns out that we had to like reconnect and we had to talk again more we had to like reconnect not for the terrible just sort of let's relive our our sort of traumas again but to sort of officially disconnect again to process it it felt like done somehow it was it did you say undone yeah 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 we it felt like um there's a an idea in shamanism called soul loss where part of your soul leaves your body during trauma and is supposed to return after the trauma. And a lot of times it doesn't. And there are these practices to help sort of tell your soul that it's safe to come back or to pull it back in. And uh, it was not something that I knew very much about or thought much about, but I learned, I learned about it or learned more about it after that experience. And could not be more convinced that that was what what I was experiencing. That's what it felt like. My soul was so entwined with this other person still. What did you do to get it back? There was something in that reconnection where we were able to say more, say, I think what we needed to do were say the last words and sort of officially acknowledge that we were separating and that we were going to be okay. And maybe it was me seeing him, you know, a year later and he had Survived barely, but survived and just kind of say it again. Started dating other people during that time? No, no, I definitely couldn't get near anyone. I was extremely single, (laughs) I was like austerely single, totally sober. I moved out here, I was in this place by myself. I was working a lot, I was launching the the company mm-hmm. so i was getting up really early working everything was like bright white stark it was very interesting and severe contrast to the time with him which felt very dark mm-hmm. and hidden and hard and low and this was a sort of blinding phase where i was emerging into a whole different place and um and eventually yeah we you know we've recovered and <laughs> I would say I learned the exact same thing. You have to feel it and you have to let it, let it move through you. Mm -hmm. So. Are you friends with this person though? (sighs) No. We, New York is amazing. We've seen each other one time since we broke up. And. What was that like? Oh, just a random run in? Totally random run in. It was actually pretty recently. We just saw each other and like had the shock and I sort of, you know, put my hand up like, Mm hi, but it was not a time to stop and talk. Like he was talking to someone else, whatever. Did it feelings? Oh yeah. Yeah. I had to like walk around the corner and like breathe. (laughs) (laughs) And I think we're okay now and we'll probably talk at some point and that will be great. But I'm fairly certain we won't be friends. Like I've, you know, rekindled a, a friendship with this person. I think just knowing him and how he processes emotions and, you know, I think that it's something he'll prefer to leave behind mm-hmm. a door. And I would totally respect that, you know, when you were ready to date after that relationship, did you
1: have fear that you would about finding a person that you felt cozy with or felt that connection with? And how did you know your fiance was the, you know, bit like a glove?
7: Yeah. I don't, think i've ever been afraid of having to go through the heartbreak again this is a big part of my personality and and a, a way that i hope to live always which is when i mentioned earlier you know about relationships and going with that sensation even if it seems illogical or you know irrational i think life is so short that when we have the opportunity to fall in love or be in love, or just be in a really healthy relationship, or get a heart broken, or fall in love at the cost of getting your heart broken, that it's worth it. So I don't know myself yet, it could happen, but I don't know myself yet to shy away from something like that because of the potential of it hurting so damn bad when it ends. I think it's all still worth it. However, my fiance is fabulously well balanced (laughs) so after having some very dramatic relationships and getting older that kind of thing becomes attractive in a way that to a younger me I probably wouldn't be attracted to it and now it's like absolutely wonderful that there's no drama you know and that's not something you can predict and that's not something you can know about yourself yeah ahead of time you know and everyone's so much of life
1: is timing
7: yeah Oh yeah, totally. Relationships yeah. are timing, yeah. you know.
1: If you had to pick a breakup
7: herb, what would it be? Oh, what a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the strongest sedative. No, these I'm kidding. Always
1: end up be, these conversations <laughs> always end up, you know, I've been doing this since I was 22. So, if I, <laughs> so impressive, I've like grown up on the internet. So these conversations always end up being mirror to what was going on in my life based on what I'm asking. (laughs) So you can
7: always... Gosh, a breakup herb. What a good question. I would not recommend something numbing. I would recommend something to replenish your heart. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is Rose. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah. I don't know why. Do you have some? No. Let me it's see. It's also my know. middle name. <laughs> oh, literally. <laughs> Get some rose, and you should probably have it around. It's so all funny. Forms. I have kind of like no reason to know that, but I just like had, I was like, she's going to say rose. So then there's a, that's a good, yeah, that's a good sign. So rose petals. And put it in um, everything. Tea, <laughs> like teas. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Rose petals in tea. I would use essential oil, make sure it's a good quality, and okay. just like smell it, bring it with you. You could bathe with it um you could do any kind of rose hydrosol like for your face or yeah. your heart even i mean roses you know it's heart medicine okay um that and then second to that i mean i would think about i think about oat oat seed or oat, oat straw. straw i've been putting that in my infusion okay yeah that's for emotional you know grief and um recovery you know that yeah from, a, from an energetic standpoint, it's recommended for grief or um, any kind of anxiousness that comes with emotion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's also good for anxiety in general. Maybe just kind a of tincture of that
1: would be good for me then. That
7: would be nice. Yeah. yeah. Like an oat seed tincture. And then also, if you do feel a lot in your heart, hawthorn berries are one of the best herbal medicines for heart. And that's very literal. So it's great for like your cardiovascular mm-hmm. system and health heart health, but, you know, love potions or heart tonics or, you know, heartbreak can also be treated with some of these herbs that are good for your heart. So, but Rose. Okay. I'm on it. Especially since it's your name. (laughs) Yeah, that's funny.
8: I don't know that everybody has the patience or in a weird way, like the Mm self-confidence to be like, it's not me and there's nothing I can do. Like, just like I said about me personally riding the anxiety wave, they kind of have to wait it out too, which is yeah. the worst part for somebody that you love.
1: And it didn't, and this might make me cry, but it, it didn't work in my situation, you know? And yeah. that's, I have so much like shame and guilt around that. Cause it's like, I could have been better and I could have managed my anxiety better and I could have
8: communicated better. And a lot of that's true. But I don't think it is that like it's going to make me (laughs) do because I think so many people think that. And I don't think that like we have any control over it. At the end of the day, what people fail to understand is it's like so much of it is just brain chemistry and like we can't control it. Like we were born like this. Like we were literally born like this. That's what's so hard
1: because some like I want to just think that someone who loves you can accept you for that but sometimes it's just like maybe we're too much for some people or maybe yeah
8: yeah it's but I don't think that like it's such an oversimplification but like I I don't think that you can ever be too much for whatever you want to call it, your person, because you are eventually going to find people that are able to either empathize or to just be like, this is something about you that I love you enough to not think of this as any sort of like deterrent.
1: It reminds me, I wrote this down to talk about of, you know, the messiness and the nonlinear nature of growth. And yeah. you rewrote this line at the end of your Atlantic piece that I also wrote down where you say, no one can ever know which direction is best. That's part of living. Yeah. And I think that really speaks to what we've kind of been talking about as a through line throughout sure. this of, of being present yeah, yeah. and decision-making For and just sure. not knowing yeah. how to be a person and knowing that, you can only do what you can do today yeah. and nobody's ever going to know what the best thing sure. was or yeah. how to say the thing But you know, I'm constantly, we were talking about, we right. feel so many feelings. We're in our heads. We're totally. questioning, yeah. but at the end of the day, we're just doing our best trying yeah. to be people and have empathy for other people. Such a beautiful line.
9: There's a lot of moments in sobriety, especially like the, the few amends that I've made with people. Like you can agonize over that, what it feels like to make amends to people. Right. And, I have like I I've written a few like I've probably written way more mins than I've actually sent but you can write the most perfect amends ever like you can really write the fuck out of one right and it could get deleted in two seconds. Or could get read and thought about for a week, right? And either is fine for me. Like you're saying you can't control the person's... I can't control it, right? But what I'm doing is I'm cleaning my side of the street, right? And that's all I, you can control. Literally, like I'm, I can give you my heart, put it on the table and say, I'm sorry, I was a dick. Feel free to slice this open with the blade or move on with your life. Whatever you do, I'm fine but that moment of like, I can't control the direction of how that rolls. I just fucking can't. Like, I just know the moment happened and I know I wish the moment didn't happen. And then I just want sort of move on with my fucking life because what am I supposed to do? Die that's, over it.
1: That's so hard for me.
9: Yeah. Like, it's impossible.
1: I have so much trouble replaying ways I could have been better yeah. and things I could have said better and sure. things I wish I hadn't said Yeah. And then I start thinking about, I don't want this to be the way a person remembers me, or I don't want, and I can try to forgive myself, and I can go to therapy, and I can try to not do that again.
9: Sure.
1: What's so painful is doing it again. Sure, yeah. But then what's also so painful is I can't control whether someone... Forgives me for that, or sure. if someone remembers me for that, or yeah. if someone lets that go, and also I just don't even know. Yeah,
9: like, I don't know. I
1: might yeah. be thinking about it still, and they completely didn't let even
9: a year ago didn't yeah. even,
1: didn't yeah. even track yeah. with yeah. it. Yeah.
9: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's part of the that's part of the work, and for me specifically, I know that I do it because it's time. Like it's just time. Like let bad moments dissolve and just sort of. Get that people were going through a different thing in a different time and could to handle it better, could not, but whatever. How far do you want to take it? Do you want to kill that person or do you just want to let them be a person again? And I think.
1: Or uh, yourself or something. Yeah, letting myself
9: be a person. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For me specifically, I've decided that I'm going to, when the moment is right, um, be like, man, I really wish I would have handled that differently. hope you're well now, and I mean that. I let go of that fucking ghost in my heart and it's gone.
1: Okay, so you wrote about nostalgia recently and this line really stuck with me about something that you wrote. You said, I get attached to things, to people, to ideas and permanence has always been a bit of a heartbreaker for me. I have shuffled crates of books around the world, rolled up t-shirts that don't even fit simply because someone I love once wore it. Mm. so
4: beautiful. And I love when I mm, my own
1: words. gives people wow, an so good. idea of your writing. But can you talk a little bit about what you learned about moving on and letting go? I'm really, mm. really bad at yeah. it. So anything you can learn or anything <laughs> you can tell me?
4: It's hard. It's
1: so if it hard. feels
4: hard, you're doing it right. If it feels uncomfortable, you're doing it right. My ex-husband, who I love very much— He said, Jess, when you write a memoir that's about your life, like not your family, not a marriage, just about your experience, it's going to be called The Girl with Nostalgia Disease. (laughs) And I was like, that is accurate and also I am the most nostalgic person. It's insane. I mean, to the point of like I've kept notes and post-its from decades ago because somebody wrote a thing once that made me smile. Like, it's ridiculous. So I hold on to the past— In every way, when it serves me, when it doesn't serve me, when, you know, whether it's pain or whether it's joy, I hold on to it simply because it happened. And that feels important to me. I think it's, you know, not to like analyze myself, but I think it's very much connected to childhood. If you as a child did not feel like you had control over things, as an adult, you kind of overextend that control. You overextend like, I'm going to keep all of these things because before I had to choose which things were important. So how to let go when you're a nostalgic monster like me and you. (laughs) So I think um, once you acknowledge and accept the idea that choosing to hold on to something is creating a small prison for yourself and it starts to feel like that. I'll talk about it in terms of family because that is what's the most present in my mind. I thought that I would have a family where it's like, you know, your, your paper doll family, the father, the mother, the dog, the kid, the house, everyone lives together. Very soon after I started a family, it did not look like that. And it did not feel like that. So rather than expanding my ideas of what could be, I doubled down and I was like, no, these are our barriers. This is our prison. We will all live here. (laughs) And it felt awful for everybody involved. Um, It's really scary to let go of an idea. It's really scary to let go of these shoulds that we have. I should be doing this. I should look like this. I should have this relationship. It's really scary to let go of that, especially if you don't have a replacement for it, right? And if you don't have like an idea to replace what your previous no longer working idea was. So one thing that really, really was necessary in my letting go process was writing down what I wanted the future to look like, even if I had never seen it before. So for me, I didn't want to be a divorced couple who passed their kid back and forth, who never spoke, who hated each other, who badmouthed each other. It was what I had seen yeah. from TV and people. and That's what other- I grew up with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not <And> great. <laughs> exactly. A lot of people have that experience, and it's all I knew. If we weren't going to be married and sharing a house and living together as a family, the only way I knew a family to exist, then we had to be this. And I didn't want that. So what did I want? Great question. Big question that I didn't have an answer to. So I sat there in the discomfort of plotting and planning what that would look like if I, if anything was available to me. What would it look like if I could create a family dynamic that felt good, that felt healthy, even if it didn't feel like what I thought it—or even if it didn't look like what I thought it was supposed to? And so I wrote down things like, you know, weekly family dinners, traveling together, being able to be in a room with each other without wanting to kill each other or sleep with each other. Like, all the very detailed, like, this is what I want. And when I was writing those things, I may as well have been writing down, like— unicorns, flying, <laughs> you know, <laughs> flying, whatever, because it seemed so impossible. But because I was creating, I was writing down the reality of what it could look like and then rereading it every single day and living in that moment of like, what if it could look like this? What if it could look like this? And then working toward that and like moving in that direction, even though I was like, I don't know how we're going to get there, but this is what I want, right? Like you, you don't necessarily know how you're going to get to the other side of it, but knowing what it might look like is really helpful. I will say, though, it is hard to let go of stuff. It's especially hard to let go of pain. I always tell my son this, the first three seconds you have, your whatever that reaction is after an event, that is real. That is your brain. That is a reaction that you cannot control. And after that, you're controlling it. So if you choose to continue staying in that pain, it's because you're making that choice. And again, it's that It's like the good news and the bad news. Like, oh, damn it. I've been choosing this. And also, oh, I've been choosing this. So I can just choose to stop wanting to be in the pain. Choose to stop wanting to be. You know what I mean? So, yeah, it's just like the realization that you control your narrative. You— If you were the cause—or not the cause, because I feel like then we get into tricky territory—if you were the common denominator in your past, then you're also the common denominator in your future, you know? So to think of it more like—I don't know. Think of it more like planning and plotting instead of losing something, right? Because it feels really hard to give something up. But if you're writing out and creating this masterpiece of what might come next, that feels a lot more fun than just like— (laughs) I I don't know. Just letting go. Yeah.
1: You touched on this a little bit. That's going to be, that's so useful for me. I feel like I'm letting go of so much and I want to talk about moving, which is something I'm doing and Mm -hmm. you're doing in a second, but you will, we're, we'll stay in this territory for a second because (laughs) you mentioned this already, but you write a lot about co-parenting and you've been really honest about the challenges of it. And I wrote down another line of yours that I loved and you said, divorcing with a kid, is a different kind of heartbreak, one that never fully heals because you're simultaneously looking into the face of your painful past and your uncertain future. Oh, it's just such a good line. I loved it so much. And, you know, I I would love to talk about heartbreak a little bit as you know from my writing, I'm experiencing my first heartbreak without a kid, without a marriage and man, it's emotionally bloody. It's hard. Yeah. <laughs> so,
4: can you talk about breakups and heartbreak and what's helped you with that. I would love to. It's like my favorite topic, Great. heartbreak. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that it is not hard to let go of a relationship that sucks and a relationship that hurts and a relationship that is dysfunctional. That is easy. It's really hard to let go of the hope that it was going to get better <laughs> and it was going to change And that person you fell in love with is going to reappear somehow at some point. And it's really hard to let go of what you thought your future was going to look like. I think that's the mourning part, is not the past. Nobody suffers from walking out of a bad situation. We suffer because we're letting go of the hope that that bad situation will repair somehow.
1: Or like an okay situation, I think. It's easy and clear when it's like something was really hard or it was a trauma, but when it was just— not working, and, yeah. it, and like there's a parallel universe where it could have worked. I oh my gosh. I feel like that's just incredibly
4: painful. It is, yeah. And it's it's like when you walk away from someone that you still love. Ooh, that's hard. But the reality is that oh my god, this has been the transformative. This has completely changed my whole life. The realization that I can love someone and I do not have to be in a relationship with them. That blew my mind because I thought, but I still love them. I still love them. That means we're supposed to be together. That means I'm supposed to keep trying. That means I'm supposed to stick with it and whatever, insert cliche here. But then I realized like, oh, no one's going to make me stop loving them. I can still love them from right here in this safe space that I'm creating for myself. And that's super important. I, I think that we live in a culture that's really messed up because we're taught that you can only love one way. Why? Why is romantic love, why does it trump everything else? Right? I feel like it's it's like the saddest part of a relationship ending is like you're losing that friendship. You're losing that person who has been, for better or worse, a person that is significant in, in your growth and in your life. And it goes from connected, romantic togetherness to nothing. We don't even say hi in the street anymore. And that is brutal. (laughs) So, I mean, when it comes to heartache, I think the hardest part is letting go of what you thought was going to happen. And that. It seems like it should be easier, right? Because it hasn't actually happened. But no, we spend so much time in our brains living in the future, playing out the what if, what could, all of the possibilities. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe
1: especially people like us with our temperament of, I don't think, that's what I've been thinking about a lot lately is that I don't think everyone is like us Mm -hmm. in that sense that they do that as to the level that we do maybe. Mm -hmm. And so it's like, I've been thinking a lot, about this in my situation. Like I know this is easier for him than it is for me, just yeah. because I'm someone who feels things so deeply.
4: And that's that's hard. I don't know. Yeah. And you know what the reality is? A lot of people, a lot of people are not sincere. And a lot of people go out of their way to develop a thick skin. And I think if I haven't said this in our modern love class, I feel like I must have said this before because I think it a whole lot where People think that that having a thick skin is helpful to you. And as an artist and a creator and a writer, I think having thick skin is actually so detrimental to your creativity because when you have thick skin, you can't feel all of the beautiful things that need to be felt in writing. Right? So, yeah, some people will just allow themselves to grow, you know, kind of hard and develop this shell where nothing can hurt them, which is a really isolating place to be. And then other people will cope with whatever makes them stop feeling. I mean, there are, there's so many ways to fill that blank, Mm -hmm. right? Whatever way it is that you cope with loss or heartache or any kind of suffering or loneliness, if you remove all of that and just sit in the pain oh my God, that's where the growth happens, but no one wants to sit there. And the reality is like, because you are there, it's so powerful. It's so easy to walk across the street, go get a few drinks and stop feeling the the things you don't want to feel. It's so easy to just go start dating somebody else so you don't have to miss someone. Those are all temporary. Those don't actually cause growth. Those are just little band-aids. They don't actually do anything. So yeah, we're gonna feel things a lot harder than other people do. They're going to feel, they're gonna feel much more profound, and they're going to feel inescapable at times. But I mean, one of the things that <laughs> I wrote down in like my middle school journal was, I mean, nothing is permanent. Nothing is permanent, right? Even the good, the bad, nothing is permanent, and that is something that I keep going back to, time and again. Which is like. Even when it's painful, it will not always be like this. And I know that it feels like that when you're in it, but history shows that you have overcome painful things. History has shown that you got through the thing you didn't think you could get through. You did the thing you didn't think you could do. So it's like, look at your past. You can do hard things you already have. Yeah. If you're feeling pain, feel it. You know that you're not okay you know that this feeling is not good. And at the same time, other people put a timeline on our healing and healing does not pay attention to timelines. It will, it will happen at its own pace. So for you, it might take three months. For another person it might take three years. For another person, it might take so much longer because you don't know what losses are tied up in that one romantic loss. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh. <laughs> There's, there's no other answer other than you have to sit in it until it gets less painful, until you can stand in it, until you can maybe, like, tread in it, and then until you can walk out of it. Yeah. That's it.
1: I want you to just say, it's going to go away. You're it's okay. going to go away. <laughs>
4: and you know what? It is. Nothing yeah. is permanent. It is going to go away. There are things that I think every person listening, every person living— there are things that you go through. That's why they call it you go through them, mm-hmm. right? No one, you don't get stuck in it. Yeah. You go through it. And there are moments where it's like, I cannot even imagine how I'm going to get out of this. This is going to be like this forever. And that feeling is so real when you're in it. Oh my God, it is so yeah. real. But the reality is, you go through it. You will overcome things you did not think you could ever overcome because that is what a human being does is what it is to be human. That's why it's so damn hard. Yeah. As you go through it.
1: Oh my God. And it's also not linear too. Yeah. Like i have moments where I, like right now I feel like pretty okay. Like yesterday I was crying later. I'll probably, you know, like it's <laughs> just cry like, later? it's so, it's complicated and interesting. And I feel like I
4: need—I'm glad this was recorded because I can listen uh, back to that whenever <laughs> I want. But also I was going to say one of the things that that has allowed me in the past to get comfortable and be okay when you're in it and when, like, the, the entire world is yeah. crashing Ooh, around you I'm like, hey. is knowing that all of that serves a purpose. And I know that's super cliche. Everything happens for a reason. But, like, oh, you don't even know the reasons that you are going to use this in a way that you can't even imagine yet. That is like, we're talking about writing about co-parenting. Do you think that when I was in it, like drowning in it and suffering and totally by myself feeling like I am the only person going through this because everyone else seems to be vacationing with their ex-husbands, Gwyneth Paltrow. Like I felt so in pain when I was in it. And I had no idea that at some point I would use that and bottle up that experience and I would be able to like use it as a balm to offer other people. That feels so good. No experience is wasted. I think that is something that writers need to know. I think it's something that people need to know, that everything that is happening is happening for you to use at some point. And not knowing how is really scary, but just knowing that that is a solid truth. I mean, one of the ways (laughs) that—I highly recommend everybody write a memoir because you will see— how all of these things are connected. You will see like, oh, that's why why I went through that because that prepared me for this. It's like making a timeline of your growth. It's horrifying and painful and very time-consuming to do this, but it definitely is confirmation that all of this has a purpose and you're not going to see it immediately. And you might not even see it like anywhere close to immediately after, but like at one point— it will all make sense. It was not for nothing. No pain ever is just is just there because, you know, God or spirit or the universe got bored and wanted to just torture you one day. Yeah. <laughs> like it's there for a reason. Yeah.
1: Okay, greatest lesson on romantic relationships.
10: Oh, always study romantic relationships to really want their happiness more than I want that i want their happiness above that i even want them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense like yeah. Marianne Williamson said, "Do i want him to be happy or do i want him to call?" Yeah. Oh, and really realizing that there is an amount of respect for their process that i have to have always and trust that the divine is leading them as well and creating a lot of space for both of us to have our process in exactly the right amount of time and really trusting that spirit is guiding the relationship no matter what appearances look like. And in that, may my job be to be brave enough to tell my truth and then to let go. And it's really interesting for me. One of my biggest lessons is how much I want to hide, right? How how Maddie was saying, I desire intimacy, but I'm so quick to hide and like look for a way to mask my truth uh, because I'm afraid of looking needy or too much or all the things that our egos come up with that want to criticize us and make us hide for my
2: lesson, I think, is really, like, you just, ju- you just don't know what's going to happen. If you're, like, feeling both the feelings of, like, I'm so excited. This is going to be amazing. And the feeling of this is going to end in flames. It's like, just do it anyways. And then, like, see what happens. Yeah.
1: <laughs> it's always both. Greatest lesson on friendship? You
9: know that they end.
1: Mm. Greatest lesson on romantic relationships? Wear condom. Greatest lesson on feeling, like being a gooey person, feeling a How lot of feelings.
9: Feeling, oh, letting them out. Don't hold the feelings. They're, they're bad if you hold them up. Just let them go very quickly.
1: That's very. Oh yeah, this, let it out. The name oh, of this podcast.
9: Yeah, yeah no, you got to let them out quickly.
1: What's your greatest lesson on romantic relationships?
7: Mm. I mean, I'm really a fan of going, going with it, meaning. against all logic sometimes you know your what you feel is sometimes so much more intelligent
4: greatest lesson on romantic love has probably been i know oprah says it but she's right when someone tells you who who they are listen to them the first time
0: don't date anyone you wouldn't want to be
1: oh
6: that's really good be willing to receive as big as you give
1: i want to talk about your song good pain I think about it all the time because I believe that we grow through essentially good pain of hard things and wouldn't it be so great if we lived in a, maybe your next life when you come back it'll be, your song will be called Good Pleasure or something, like wouldn't it be so great if we grew through easy things and fun things and when things go well, but I believe that growth comes from hard things, so.
6: Yeah, and I I think those whether something's easy or hard is, is almost a matter of perspective. And I, and I think, time. Like, yeah, yeah. And I think good pain is like a choice that you make to use struggle to your advantage and not to be blown over by it, you know?
2: Yeah.
1: This was a very cathartic episode for me to put together and re-listen to, and I hope that you see yourself in this in some way or can send this to a friend who you think it would be useful for. I love you so much, and I'm so grateful for this podcast to allow me to be where I am. And this year, it was honestly really sad, but also elated and happy and joyful in many moments. And I was able to be exactly where I was on this podcast. And I'm so grateful for you guys for that. You're the coolest people. I'm so happy that we get to be friends. And I can't wait for you to check out the Soothe Kit If you're in New York City and want to come to the launch party and buy one in person, I would love to see you. And if not, get a digital one and send it to a friend as a gift or to yourself as a gift and let me know what you think. It's only $9, so it's really reasonable. I wanted to make it something that I was going to make it free, but then I realized I was spending so much time on it, months on it, that... Semi, my best friend, was like, you, you can't make this free. It's it's too much. So $9 feels like something that I could afford at a time where I would have bought anything. You know, I kind of would I was so desperate. So $9 felt correct. And the solve kit is a bit more. And that's because it's a bit more robust. So That will be launching in 2020, but you can buy it now and start it when it is open. I'm honestly, you guys, just really excited and proud of both of the kits. These things that I made that feel like the inside of my brain and they were truly enjoyable to make and I collaborated with really cool people to make them happen. Amanda and Melissa and... Meredith, who made the art. She's a collage artist who is so wonderful. She made all of the art involved in them. And if you like this podcast, you will really like these. <laughs> if you don't like this podcast, you may not, honestly. And that's okay. But if you don't like this podcast, you won't be listening right now. So I'm really only talking to people that can at least tolerate this podcast. So with that, I will leave you with the emoji of the week, which is, of course the bloody syringe, as well as the broken heart, and the butterfly. So if you're new here, you just comment that on my most recent Instagram to let me know that you are listening all the way to the end. I'm so grateful for you guys. Honestly, means so much to me that you're here. If you love this podcast, please subscribe, share it with a friend, leave a review. Those things really do help. I'm incredibly grateful that you're here. And next week, even though it's the holiday, I will be back with a brand new episode with an anxiety researcher. It's a great one. Just wait for that. And there's a new episode of Spiraling this week, my podcast that I co-host with Serena Wolf. I would love for you to listen to that as well while you're at it. If you want even more of me, you might need a break and that's fair. All right. I love you guys. So grateful. Talk to you next week.